Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, a podcast that stands against the efforts to use the power of government to force Christianity on all Americans. You know, 40% of Americans are non-Christian, and they have the right to equality under the law. There are many Christians, unfortunately, who do not see things that way. I ran into one of them this week, someone who proudly declared himself to be a Christian nationalist. He said, I'm a Christian nationalist. I'm a Christian and I love my country. What's wrong with that? Well, there are pros and cons to being a Christian. There are reasons to love your country and there are reasons you might not want to. The purpose of this podcast is not to tell people what to believe, or how to identify themselves religiously. The purpose of this podcast is not to tell people whether they should love America. Go ahead and be a Christian if that's what you want to be. Love your country if that's what you want to do. Being a Christian nationalist is something much more specific than that. And Christian nationalism specifically is what this podcast is about. Not all Christians in America are Christian nationalists. Christian nationalism is also not really just about loving your country. In fact, many Christian nationalists will tell you that they despise the United States of America. Christian nationalist Nick Fuentes is one of those. Over the last week, Nick Fuentes brazenly talked about his hatred for the United States of America. Here's what he said. I want to let you know before you hear Nick Fuentes that you're going to hear a bleep over a certain word um, that is in this statement by Nick Fuentes. You know, I find this really, um, I don't know if the word exactly is ironic, but um, it's extra specially crispy in an ideological sense that I have to bleep out this word that Nick Fuentes, a Christian nationalist, is using in his tirade that you're about to hear. And I've got to bleep it out because of Christian fundamentalism, which believes that there are certain words that people just should not say and that children above all should not hear. And I'm going to tell you how this word is spelled. It's spelled with an F, and then a U, and then a C, and then a K. And, um, you know, my position is that children ought to hear this word if that's what extremists are saying. Because it adds a certain kind of emphasis. Um, And it tells us about how Nick Fuentes feels about the United States and feels about America. I don't think that hearing people use crude language like this is actually particularly harmful, but it's a religious belief of Christians that foul language is a sin. And so the rest of us, in order to get our podcasts available to everybody on Apple Podcasts, we have to obey this Christian religious rule. That's just one little bit of what Christian nationalism is all about. It's about Christian privilege, Christian normativity, about all people having to follow the rules of Christianity. So I have bleeped out this word 
um, this one word, even though you're going to hear that I think Nick Fuente's ideas are quite crude and um, foul. But they, the ideas, are allowed on Apple Podcasts. If I want this podcast to be available to all ages, I've got to bleep this word out. And I think it's important for children to hear about what Christian nationalists are really up to in the name of their religion. So here goes. Biden is a puppet. The elections are fake. The social media companies are rigged. The elections are rigged. The news couldn't be more Jewed up, Jewed up, moneyed up, corporate, under the thumb of the Illuminati, whatever. It's all real, man. The devil is in charge of the world. I hope you know that. Straight up. Satan is in charge of America. If you, if you don't realize that, you're not paying attention. And that's not even an exaggeration. Satan runs America. I'm not a, I, I'm a patriot, but the United States of America is controlled by Satan right now. America, the United States is the great Satan in the world. The United States is controlled by Satan. The regime that runs America is controlled by Satan. And the regime that controls America is the empire that casts a shadow over the world. Satan runs the Western world. When you talk about the West, when you talk about democracy, you're talking about the devil. If you don't see the hand of the demonic in all of this, you're not paying attention, man. This is an evil country. It is. Until this country stands for God and the godly, this is an evil country. And look at who runs it. A lot of Jews. The Jews hate me. The Jews hate me. And you know who else the Jews hate? Jesus Christ. Hate to say it, nobody wants to say that part. People want to talk about the chai comms and everything else. I'm sick of it. You know what? It's Jews. <laughs> Democracy. I stand with Jesus Christ. You you can have you can have Philadelphia and you can have democracy, and you can democracy is the soul of our nation. You can have it. Christ is the soul of this nation. You can have the United States. Christ is the soul of America. We're going to have a new country. It's not going to be called the United States. It's going to be called America. It's going to be a Christian nation. Yeah, that is what Christian nationalists think of America. <laughs> These words from Christian nationalist Nick Fuentes show the distinction between nationalism and the simple love of country. Nationalism is not the same thing as patriotism. Nationalism is a political ideology that centers around a very strict and narrow definition of what a nation is, making restrictions of national identity the primary concern. Nationalists are willing to sacrifice principles such as democracy, liberty, and equality in order to transform the United States, into a Christian nation. Christian nationalists believe that their Christianity is the very definition of what is right and what is good. They perceive democracy and freedom as barriers to achieving the most important goal, which is getting every single person on earth to convert to Christianity by any means necessary, including political persecution and violence. 
So, Christian nationalists like Nick Fuentes, they hate the United States of America. They believe that equality and democracy in the USA are decadent and evil. They don't want Americans to be free. They want Americans to obey. Nick Fuentes hates our democracy so much that he adopts the same kind of language used by Muslim fundamentalists. He calls the USA the Great Satan. That's language that we heard once coming from the Ayatollahs of Iran. He says that the United States is an evil country. The great evil of the United States, according to Nick Fuentes and other Christian nationalists, is that the USA allows people the freedom to not be Christian. As is often the case with Christian nationalists, Nick Fuentes believes that American freedom is a plot, a conspiracy that has been concocted in coordination with evil spirits. Evil spirits! Christian nationalism expects people to believe that demons and devils are real, and that the United States of America is one of their favorite satanic projects. They believe that democracy is a demonic trap designed to lure people into the clutches of a horned desert god named Satan. Christian nationalism inevitably veers away from simple notions of patriotism, getting lost in the weeds of an ancient Middle Eastern mythology. That ancient mythology, in turn, leads into ancient hatreds that really don't have relevance to our society, to our culture. But we see that coming out with the hatred of Nick Fuentes and other Christian nationalists toward Jews. Does that remind you of anybody else from 20th century history? Christian nationalism and the Nazi ideology of Adolf Hitler share common historical roots that are in racist Christian theology. This is Christian theology. You can't say that these people are fake Christians because it comes out of the Bible. It comes out of Christian history, Christian doctrine that's been around for centuries. Christian nationalists obsessively blame Jews for everything that's wrong in the world. Following the centuries-old Christian teaching that because Jews killed Jesus, Jews are secretly in a pact with Satan to control the world and turn everything toward evil. So it is that Christian nationalist mythology easily expands into a dark network of conspiracy theories. Christian nationalists are taught in their churches that the world is a deceptive demonic trick that should be denied and destroyed. The world should be destroyed. So they easily dismiss any facts that contradict their beliefs. They reject science. They refuse to believe in documented history. They believe that academics and journalists cannot be trusted because they are in league with Satan. When you hear Christian nationalists talk about the media, this is why they're doing that, because they believe that the media is in league, literally, with demons from hell. So, disconnected from objective reality, 
Christian nationalists follow their religion of paranoia into a political agenda that is more strongly linked to ancient prophecies than to the basic facts of life in America today. So it is that Nick Fuentes can say with such clarity that elections are rigged, that a satanic Jewish Illuminati controls everything, that Joe Biden is a puppet of demons. Of course, he doesn't cite any actual evidence to support his neo-Nazi conspiracy theories because he doesn't believe that he has to have evidence. It's all about the power of faith. Christian nationalists begin with the belief that the Christian Bible is literally true, and then they twist their reality to fit that belief. That's the power of faith. Facts that don't fit within that belief, they're, they aren't considered rationally by Christian nationalists. They aren't evaluated in that way. Instead, inconvenient facts are instantly dismissed as deceptions that are created by demonic forces. So it is that we're faced with Christian nationalists who are willing to unleash the same hateful Christian ideology that fueled the Nazis. Only this time they are attacking the United States of America from within. This ideology is currently in firm control of the Republican Party. That's a lot of power. The last time around, the Christian nationalists brought us Donald Trump. And since then, Christian nationalism has become even more radical and has a stronger grip on the Republican Party. What will the Christian nationalists do if they are able to seize full control of the U.S. federal government again? Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christian nationalists already within the U.S. federal government, and some of them are given salaries, government salaries, to promote Christian nationalism. So you just listened to something pretty terrifying from Nick Fuentes. Uh, Christian nationalism can be horrifying when it's expressed by people like him. It's easy to recognize when that ideology appears in its most extreme form. Christian nationalists like Nick Fuentes and Bill Grady, who you've heard about um, in previous weeks of this podcast, they are absolutely explicit in the ideological consequences of the belief that the United States is a Christian nation. And they proudly share their hatred of queer folks, non-Europeans, non-Christians. They celebrate violence and they deplore democracy. They sound like what they are, protégés of Adolf Hitler. More common, however, is another expression of the very same beliefs of Christian nationalism. More often, Christian nationalism is manifested in a form that is more subtle, so that at first, it appears to be moderate and mild. It continues to seem that way until you think about what's really being said. So it is with Pastor Zach Randall's of the Waterfront Church in Washington, D.C. Zach Randalls, 
He has lots of political connections, so he is often invited by the official chaplain of the U.S. House of Representatives, that's Congress, to give prayers before Congress, before the U.S. House of Representatives, opening up every day of business. Pastor Zach Randalls, as a guest chaplain, performed the following prayer last week to provide that official religious, government-sanctioned religious Christian opening for the day of work of the United States Congress. The prayer will be offered by the guest chaplain, Pastor Zach Randall's Waterfront Church, Washington, D.C. Let us pray. Gracious Almighty God, we come before you today grateful for the privilege to serve and to support those that you have placed under our leadership. Give us an eagerness to be good shepherds, just as you are our good shepherd. This may sound to you like pretty standard Christian language in this prayer. I want you to take a step back and really think about what it means, especially within the context of U.S. government in a pluralistic secular democracy. Why should the U.S. representatives that were listening to Zach Randall's be grateful to the Christian God for their positions in Congress? What did the Christian God do to place Americans under the leadership of members of Congress? It was the American people who voted and chose their congressional representatives. It wasn't any God. But Zach Randall's here is asserting the opposite, that it was the Christian God who chose members of Congress, the Christian God who decided who's going to be in control of our democracy. That hardly makes it a democracy at all, does it? The language from Zach Randall's then about shepherds in there, that's particularly strange if you really think about it. When was the last time you even saw a shepherd? Have you actually seen a shepherd herding sheep? Christians might be used to hearing this language, to hearing about themselves referred to as sheep, treated like sheep. But the rest of us don't really think about ourselves as herd animals to be controlled, to be managed and manhandled in that way. There are no sheep in the United States Congress. But here is Zach Randall's Christian preacher calling for members of Congress to be handled and controlled as if they are sheep. Now, I understand he doesn't mean, of course, that members of Congress should be put out in a pasture and be forced to eat grass. Of course, that's not what he means. <clears throat> it's a metaphor and it's a metaphor that is profoundly insulting in the context of a democratically elected government. With his language of shepherds, Zach Randall is calling for members of the United States Congress to submit to being herded around like animals, to being controlled by the Christian God, or by the preachers of the Christian God, as if they have no more intelligence than farm animals. Okay? Making matters worse, then, Zach Randall's next calls upon members of Congress to treat 
the American people like sheep in that same demeaning way. Zach Randalls calls himself a pastor. Do you know what that word means? A pastor is a person who herds animals, farm animals. Zach Randalls doesn't actually herd animals, of course, at his church in Washington, D.C. He doesn't work in a pasture. He herds people with the attitude that they're like dumb farm animals. He herds people in his church. And he herds people when he shows up as a guest chaplain in the U.S. House of Representatives, feeling like he's entitled, because he's a Christian preacher, to herd the elected officials of the U.S. Congress who have been chosen by the American people to represent them, not any God. And his farm animal metaphor continues. Listen up. And may we find comfort in the nudges from your guiding hands leading us toward righteousness. I ask all of this in the holy name of Jesus. In the holy name of Jesus. You know, apologists for ceremonial deism, for having these Christian pastors in Congress doing what they do, like Zach Randall's here, they'll tell you, oh, it's okay. It's just, They're just promoting some kind of neutral... Um, tradition. It doesn't mean anything. It's not really promoting Christianity, they will say. Actual Supreme Court justices have said that with a straight face. But listen to this, this prayer right here. Zach Randall's is abandoning all pretense of a non-sectarian prayer that only embodies some kind of bland, neutral, ceremonial deism. Ceremonial deism is a lie. Zach Randall's specifically here calls for members of the U.S. Congress to be controlled like farm animals, nudged by the hands of the divinity of Christianity, okay? The Christian Messiah. This is not Jewish. This is not Buddhist. This is not Hindu. This is not generic. This is about Christianity specifically and power to Christianity, not to other religions. No member of any other religion besides Christianity, has ever been granted the authority to get up before Congress as a government-paid chaplain and demand that the United States government become transformed into a collection of animals under the control of a non-Abrahamic religious spirit. No, Christians only, only Christians are allowed to have the power uh, to display such arrogance in the U.S. federal government. Christian nationalists like to pretend that they are persecuted, that they are marginalized, that they are shoved aside and disempowered in the U.S. government. But you know, official government prayers like this one prove that that is just not the case. Christian nationalists like Zach Randalls are given an official government platform every week to stand before members of Congress. Not just once a week either, every day. They conduct the rituals of Christian nationalism in our government. And they lecture members of our Congress. They tell them to remember that they are the property 
of the Christian God rather than representatives of the American people. That's what this message from Zach Randall's is really all about. No other religion is ever given that kind of privilege in American government. Leaders of non-religious Americans? Oh, heck, they are absolutely excluded from having this kind of power. So who's marginalized? It is not Christian nationalists. It doesn't just happen in the U.S. House of Representatives either. Last Wednesday, Barry C. Black, the official Christian chaplain of the U.S. Senate, supported the Christian nationalism of Zach Randall's with his own official government-endorsed prayer. Here's what he said. Lord, the founders of this great nation walked in your guidance and rested in your compassion. Unite us so that we can do your will. Speak to our senators so that they may understand your will for our nation and world. That was on Wednesday last week. Now on Thursday, Chaplain Barry C. Black went even further, standing at the microphone on the floor of the United States Senate and lecturing the senators through his daily prayer, saying this. Lord, forgive us when we do things our way, refusing to submit to your holy will and seeking to derail your wise and powerful providence. Remind us to seek first to stay within the circle of your divine purposes, for you are God and we are not. Today, use our lawmakers for your glory. Give them the unity they need to accomplish your will. Guide them with your wisdom. Use our lawmakers? Hmm. Let's break down what we just heard in Barry C. Black's prayers to the U.S. Senate from just a couple of days last week. Okay, first... Chaplain Black repeated the Christian nationalist doctrine that the founding of the United States of America was a manifestation of Christianity, a magical process involving invisible spirits that made the founding of the country possible. And next, Barry C. Black demanded that all Americans be united under the Christian God, that all Americans be converted into obedient Christians who are ready to do the will of the Christian God, including the U.S. senators, or at least to do the will of the Christian priests and preachers who claim to know what the will of their God is. Barry C. Black's prayers may be delivered in Soft tones. Hey, I love his speaking voice. It's fantastic. Great resonance. Sounds great. But they amount to a declaration of extreme Christian nationalism. Chaplain Black declared to members of the U.S. Senate last week that they should no longer try to represent the will of the American people, 
No, instead, Chaplain Black's prayer demands that U.S. senators obey the will of the Christian God, that they transform the Senate from a democratic institution into a tool of Christian nationalist theocracy so that our elected officials can be used, in his language, used, for the sake of Christian nationalism. Now remember what Christian nationalism is. Christian nationalism is the belief that the United States is, or should be, a Christian nation, with a government that serves the interests of Christianity and not anybody else. That is exactly what Barry C. Black's prayer is calling for. Barry C. Black stood up in front of the U.S. Senate and told our nation's leaders that they must, quote, stay within the circle, unquote, of the religious beliefs of Christians. Chaplain Barry C. Black's prayer was fundamentally opposed to the very idea of democracy. Chaplain Black blasted U.S. senators for refusing to submit That's his phrase, refusing to submit to Christianity. But refusing to submit to any authoritarian power is what democracy is all about. And let's face facts. Authoritarian power is really what's at the center of Christian ideology. There is one being in control of everything. Hmm. One being. Democracy is not a Christian principle here. Because democracy is about giving power to the people, not to Christian theocrats and certainly not to gods, to the people. We the people, not we the gods of the United States of America, we the people. Barry C. Black's Christian nationalist prayer is about taking power away from the people. Think about it. Think about what the consequences for our country would be if senators, if United States senators complied with the demands of Barry C. Black's prayer. If members of the U.S. Senate made their legislative decisions according to the demands of Christianity, the laws of Christianity, rather than the will of the people, we would, in effect, have a federal government controlled by Christian priests and preachers. Our Congress would become an extension of the power of right-wing Christian megachurches and would pass draconian laws requiring all Americans to follow the harsh, unforgiving morality of Christianity, forcing Americans to participate in Christian rituals, to participate in Christian worship. That's what ceremonial deism is all about. When they say they want prayer in the schools, that's what it's all about. Chaplain Barry C. Black's prayer in the U.S. Senate is in effect a demand that the United States abandon the Constitution and go back to the early colonial days before the Revolution of 1776, when Puritan preachers controlled government in the British colonies. Barry C. Black's prayer calls for us to go back to the days of frenzied Christian violence as exemplified in the horrors of Salem, Massachusetts. What Barry C. Black demands is nothing short 
of U.S. senators surrendering their power to him and to his fellow Christian preachers. To Chaplain Black, it may seem like a natural thing to demand that his God be given control of everything, but this concept is antithetical to the operation of democracy. After all, if the Christian God is really in control of all of the political decisions in the United States, well, why bother with democracy? If the God is really in control, why should you even bother having elections? If the Christian God is really controlling Congress, why bother having any Congress at all? Just let God do it, right? Congress would become nothing more than a rubber stamp to the demands of Christian churches if Captain, or excuse me, if Chaplain Black had his way. Someone who believes in democracy celebrates when American government enables the American people to, quote, do things our way, unquote. But Barry C. Black tells U.S. senators that the freedom to do things our own way is deplorable, a wicked sin that they should beg his Christian God to forgive. You know, the fact that Barry C. Black is already granted the power to deliver these screeds against democracy on the floor of the United States Senate every day, that's troubling enough. Barry C. Black is given the authority to open up the business of the United States Senate every day with a Christian religious ritual. He doesn't do rituals for other religions. Every day, Chaplain Black stands there and he lectures the elected officials in the Senate that they must submit to the God of Christianity. Chaplain Black insults our democracy over and over again, but his voice is never, ever countered by leaders of other religions. Atheists are not given time for a rebuttal. Barry C. Black is given the power to influence the U.S. Senate for no other reason than that he is a Christian, and Christians are granted special powers by the United States government that are not available to non-Christian Americans. Every day, Barry C. Black personifies Christian privilege. Every day, Barry C. Black stands for Christian nationalism. For Christians, that might seem natural. It might seem natural to suppose that the elected government of the United States should just stop its deliberations and let a Christian preacher get up there so that everyone can submit to the control of the Christian God. It's natural for Christians to presume that that's the way that everything's going to work, I suppose. But for the rest of us, you know, those of us who are not Christian, we struggle to understand how anyone could think that that's a good idea. I want you to imagine something, okay? Put the concept of Christianity aside for just a few minutes. Imagine that an alien from outer space shows up and flies down in his flying saucer out of the sky over Washington, D.C. And this alien we discover is named Zaphor and comes from the planet Rontu. Okay, so Zaphor lives for thousands of years, it turns out, and is much more powerful than any human being with technology that's so advanced it seems magical to us human beings. Now, imagine how people would react if Congress appointed a special priest of Zaphor 
to give daily speeches before the House and Senate to declare that Zaphor should be granted control over the U.S. government and proclaimed the Lord of all Americans. Imagine how it would feel to hear that government-appointed priest of Zaphor get up every day and insist that members of Congress, along with the rest of America, must submit to the extraterrestrial will of the alien Zaphor. Imagine what people would say if the priest of the alien Zaphor gave a, priest, uh, gave a speech to Congress every day, insisting that it was Zaphor who somehow created the United States over 200 years ago. Zaphor, who wrote the Constitution, and Zaphor, who inspired all American law. Well, no one would put up with that. People would be livid. They would demand that Congress fire the priest of Zaphor from his job as the official Zaphorian priest to Congress. Yet, if you replace the name Zaphor with the title God... Well, that's exactly what is happening in the United States Congress right now. Day after day, in both the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. With the Christian God, it's even worse than in the case of the priest of the alien Zaphor from the planet Ron II. At least with the alien Zaphor, people would actually have evidence that Zaphor really exists. They would see the alien spacecraft. They would see the alien Zaphor descend from it, come down to Earth with their own eyes, and be able to document the event in photographs and videos with their smartphone cameras. With the Christian God... There is no such evidence at all. No one has ever provided a reliable eyewitness account of an encounter with any god. No one has ever taken a phot photograph or a video of God, Christian or otherwise. There is more evidence for the existence of the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot than there is for the existence of the Christian God. And yet... In both houses of the United States Congress, there is a government-appointed, government-employed Christian chaplain. These are not volunteer positions either. Americans are forced to pay to have these Christian chaplains of Congress, to give them money in exchange for their sanctimonious prayers of Christian nationalism. Each congressional chaplain is paid a government salary. This is $160,787. Let me say that again. $160,787 for the U.S. Senate chaplain. And it's $172,500 for the U.S. House chaplain. That's a really high salary for getting up and giving sanctimonious speeches promoting Christian nationalism. Congressional chaplains are also given an official government office and resources. They're provided with paid assistance, a chief of staff, a director of communications, and an executive assistant. The office of the U.S. Senate chaplain was given a budget of $562,000 this year. The office of the U.S. House chaplain was given $288,480 of public money to pay for the salaries of its support staff and yet more money to cover expenses. 
In exchange for their lavish government salaries, the Christian chaplains of Congress arrogantly toss out insults against American democracy. They stand up in front of the House and the Senate, and they give speeches demanding that members of Congress stop thinking for themselves, stop serving the people of the United States, and submit instead to the will of the invisible God of Christianity, the God who never shows up. Remember that this Christian God never, ever appears himself. Hmm, that's curious, isn't it? I mean, how are members of Congress supposed to know that the will of the Christian God is one thing or another? Rather conveniently, the chaplains of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate are there to tell members of Congress what the Christian God wants. Whenever the chaplains talk about how members of Congress need to obey the will of the Christian God, what they're really saying is that members of Congress should obey the will of the Christian chaplains of Congress or other Christian leaders who claim to have some kind of special knowledge that's granted to them mysteriously of the specific political agenda of the magical ruler of the universe. The congressional chaplains don't just get up and give prayers. They meet with members of Congress behind closed doors to tell them what their God demands. In private meetings and in public statements, the congressional chaplains encourage members of Congress to organize caucuses on the basis of religion, discriminating on the basis of religion, cultivating religious networks as sources of political power within our American government. The chaplains of Congress are actually paid to erode the separation of church and state, to weaken the First Amendment, to undermine the Constitution and the rule of law in the United States of America. The chaplains of Congress exist in order to distract members of Congress from their real jobs, which is representing the people of their states, of their districts. The chaplains, through their sermons and in whispered conversations behind closed doors, work to convince members of Congress that they should represent the Christian God instead of their human constituents. Now, let's suppose for a moment that this God of Christianity really does exist. Well, what then? What would we do if that was true? What would it even mean for a member of Congress to represent the will of the Christian God? Well, to answer this question, we might begin by asking ourselves for a moment what the agenda of this strange, invisible, supernatural being really is. Really. Where does that agenda come from? Has anyone ever figured out where that God came from? For example, where did they come from? What's their origin? Who sent this God here to earth? What other loyalties does this God have? How do we know that we can trust this supernatural being just because it's powerful? You'd think with all of the money that American taxpayers are forced to spend on the offices of chaplains in the United States Congress, that we could at least have some transparency and accountability from them about what they do with this God of theirs. Yet, 
Implausibly, the chaplains claim that this all-powerful God is limited to speaking to human beings through the words of one dusty old book that was cobbled together out of a variety of texts from a variety of authors working in committees thousands of years ago. Hmm, that's really weird. An all-powerful God who can only speak to us from a really old book, just one book. That's really kind of bizarre if you think about it. As much as they talk about the will of their God, the chaplains of Congress can't even seem to convince this magical being to come to Washington, D.C. for a visit, to communicate directly with any political leaders. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Given the amount of time that chaplains spend talking about how much this God wants to be listened to and obeyed. I mean, if you want to be obeyed, you just show up, you tell people what you want. In person, they hear it from, as they say, the horse's mouth. Well, if the chaplain of the U.S. House of Representatives and the chaplain of the United States Senate cannot even get their own God to show up for one press conference to confirm that the chaplains really are his representatives, well, why should we trust these chaplains? What qualifications do they have to speak for supernatural beings, these federal government chaplains? What qualifications do they have that gives them the right to issue orders from this supernatural realm to members of our Congress. That's kind of scary if you think about it. It is not the job of any member of Congress or any person on the staff of the U.S. federal government to represent gods, spirits, prophets, messiahs, zombies, or any other characters from ancient religious texts. That is not their job. Besides, the Christian God is not an American citizen. Neither was Jesus or the Virgin Mary or Moses or Abraham or any of them. They were all born and died centuries and centuries before the United States even existed. If they did ever exist at all, these people, beyond being mythological characters. If these people ever were real, they lived in a part of what was then the Roman Empire. Western Asia, they never crossed the Atlantic Ocean on a boat even once to come to North America. They never traveled more than a hundred miles from their homes. They were largely ignorant about the world. Neither these long-dead foreign prophets nor their God ever actually said anything on the record about any plans for America they never even mentioned the names of America, or the United States, Washington, D.C., or even, you know, New Jersey, or anything like that. If these prophets from thousands of years ago had nothing to say about the USA, well, why should the U.S. government work for them now? By law, the government of the United States is supposed to work for the people who have democratically elected it. Angels, demons, gods, ghosts ghouls, zombies of ancient prophets, and other spirits have no legal right to representation in the U.S. government. So, even the Christian God, whose supporters say knows everything that ever happened, never actually talked about anything other than what happened way back when in a relatively small area of Western Asia long, 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 long time ago. 
It sounds as if this God was unable to know anything that his believers didn't already know themselves. Hmm. It's enough to make a thinking person suspect that the God of the Christian Bible was nothing more than a creation of the committees of religious leaders who edited the Bible together. The very idea of a congressional chaplain praying to the Christian God to take control of the minds of the politicians in the United States Congress. It's nonsensical. Why would such a prayer ever be necessary if there's a God who's all-powerful? If the Christian God is really all-powerful, well, couldn't he just take control of the U.S. Congress whenever he wanted without a prayer? What difference would it make if there's a Christian chaplain of Congress there making a conspicuous public prayer request for the Christian God to take over America? If the Christian God was real, he could just take over America. He doesn't need any stinking chaplains to help him, does he? The prayers of the congressional chaplains, of course, are not supposed to make logical sense. They are expressions of raw power. The mere presence of the chaplains on the floor of both houses of U.S. Congress granted the authority to force all members of Congress to pause their work for an official Christian prayer. That is a purposeful, conspicuous display of Christian nationalist power. That's what it's for. Of course, U.S. House guest chaplain Zach Randalls and U.S. Senate chaplain Barry C. Black. When they talk, they don't shout and rant about Christian nationalism as loudly as Nick Fuentes does. You remember Nick Fuentes from the beginning of this podcast? They don't openly talk about hating Jews or scream about how democracy is a tool of Satan. They don't say that out loud, but nonetheless... The Christian chaplains of the House and Senate of the United States promote the very same underlying extremist ideology of Christian nationalism, the same ideology that fuels the hatred of Nick Fuentes. The congressional chaplains may not be quite as loud as the rantings of Nick Fuentes, but the anti-democratic Christian nationalism of Nick Fuentes is nonetheless present in the prayers delivered to Congress last week by Zach Randalls and Barry C. Black. Just like Nick Fuentes, Zach Randalls and Barry C. Black call for an end of democracy and a surrender of control over the United States to Christian power. The fact that congressional leaders routinely hear people like Zach Randalls and Barry C. Black and other Christian nationalist preachers stand up on the podium of Congress to issue Christian nationalist demands, that has a toxic effect on American democracy. It normalizes the radical anti-democracy agenda of Christian nationalism. It emboldens Christian nationalist members of Congress to act as if they are entitled to transform the USA into a Christian theocratic dictatorship, which, yes, is what some members of Congress are actually in favor of. They've said so on the record. It seems important given this normalization of Christian nationalist extremism, to remind people 
what the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America promises. The First Amendment promises us a secular government that is protected from religious power. It says, quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, unquote. The First Amendment continues to promise that the U.S. government cannot take any action to compromise the freedom of religion of the American people, not just as a group, but as individuals. And that means that the government cannot take sides when it comes to religion, cannot use its power to coerce people to join one religion, discourage them from joining another religion, cannot elevate one religion over another, cannot promote religion as a choice in contrast to a non-religious life. But the appointment of official Christian chaplains for the United States House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, that's a clear violation of the First Amendment. It doesn't take a law student to figure that out. The First Amendment has the force of law in America, and the Christian Bible, it does not. Yet there is no official reading of the First Amendment to open up the day of business in Congress, is there? No, instead we have Christian chaplains who are given a privilege, given the power to exclusively open up every day of Congress with Christian nationalist prayers. There has never, ever, ever, ever been a non-Christian chaplain of the United States House of Representatives. There has never been a non-Christian chaplain of the U.S. Senate either. Only Christians are allowed to have those jobs. The government-endorsed, government-funded chaplains of the U.S. House and U.S. Senate are not only examples of Christian nationalism at work, the congressional chaplains are agents of Christian nationalism that seek to expand the influence of extremist Christian nationalism in the halls of Congress in defiance of the very first promise of the very first amendment in the Bill of Rights. The actions of the chaplains of the U.S. Congress also provide an important reminder of the corrosive power of prayer in American politics. Because a prayer is not just a magical spell intended to summon the power of a mysterious, invisible spirit. No, a prayer is also a political act. It's political speech that is used to organize human social power and wield it to dominate others. And there was a particular prayer that came out in the news this week in relation to a political campaign in Pennsylvania. Just a few days before the attempted coup d'etat by Christian nationalists, back on January 6, 2021, Doug Mastriano attended an organizational meeting for that insurrection to prepare for it. The meeting was set up by Jim Garlow of the New Apostolic Restoration. 
The New Apostolic Restoration is a Christian nationalist movement that explicitly aims to overthrow American democracy and replace it with a Christian dictatorship that forces all Americans to convert to Christianity. So Doug Mastriano was there. Well, who is Doug Mastriano? You may remember him from an earlier episode of this podcast. But Now, at the time, at the beginning of January 2021, Doug Mastriano was a Pennsylvania state senator who was working with Donald Trump to try to overturn the results of the presidential election in Pennsylvania, where the majority of people had voted for Joe Biden. Now, in 2022, Doug Mastriano is the Republican candidate for governor of Pennsylvania. So I think it's worth listening to what Doug Mastriano had to say at that meeting. At that meeting of Christian nationalists, Doug Mastriano was given the floor to offer up the following prayer. God, we come before you in Jesus' name, and God, I ask you that you help us roll in these dark times, that we fear not the darkness, that we will seize our Esther and Gideon moments, that we will stand in a gap, that when you say, who shall I send, we will say, send me. I know we're surrounded by wickedness and fear and dithering and inaction, but that's not our problem. Our problem is following your lead. God, you're calling forth modern-day Esthers and Gideons. And I pray that you'll give us the courage to do so. Think about our elected officials in Pennsylvania who've been weak and feckless. I pray that we'll take responsibility. We'll seize the power that, that we have given to us by the Constitution and as well by you, providentially. I pray for the leaders also in, in the federal government, God, on the 6th of January, that they'll rise up with boldness. You'll bless these letters that President Trump asked me this morning to send to Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy outlining the fraud in Pennsylvania. And this will embolden them to stand firm and, and disregard what has happened in Pennsylvania until we have an investigation. God, we pray truth will go forth in victory and that your truth will go marching on. In Jesus' name, amen. January 2021 was a very special month. January 6, 2021 was a very special day and not in a good way. The context of this specific prayer at this specific Christian nationalist political meeting is that Doug Mastriano had sent a letter requesting Republican leaders in Congress overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election by ignoring the votes of citizens in Pennsylvania and a few other states where the majority of voters had chosen Joe Biden over Donald Trump. Remember how we talked about um, facts, political reality? This is the actual reality, the actual facts. There was no stolen election. Donald Trump is not the president. He did not win. On January 6, 2021, though, congressional leaders did indeed attempt to execute Doug Mastriano's plan to keep Donald Trump in the White House in defiance of the American people, in defiance of Joe Biden's victory in both the popular vote and the Electoral College. And I'm not saying this because I'm like some kind of great fan of Joe Biden. In fact, you go back a couple of weeks, you're going to hear me criticize Joe Biden because you know what else? Joe Biden himself, in his speeches, promotes Christian nationalism. Politics is complex. 
It's not a simple matter of religious good versus evil. And we've got to confront Christian nationalism in both the Republican and Democratic Party. But the fact is this. The Democrats have never attempted to overthrow the government of the United States, have never attempted to end democracy for the sake of a politician like Donald Trump. The Democratic Party has some Christian nationalists in it, but the Republican Party is thoroughly controlled by Christian nationalism. It's not a great choice that we face. But this is the choice that we have before us. Remember January 6, 2021, because on that same day, on that same day when Congress was working to enact the overthrow of democracy planned by Doug Mastriano and his allies among the Christian nationalists, that same day in Washington, D.C., a huge crowd of Christian nationalists violently stormed the U.S. Capitol with the encouragement of Donald Trump. And several members of Congress, Republican members of Congress as well, encouraged that violent insurrection. Doug Mastriano was there. He was part of that insurrectionist crowd. And Mastriano has so far refused to comply with congressional subpoenas requiring him to testify about his role in the attempted violent revolution. In the prayer that we just heard Doug Mastriano give, we can see that Doug Mastriano was involved in behind-the-scenes organization of the attempted insurrection of January 6th. He was involved both on the ground, in the mob, and he was involved in the backroom politics. We can see that Mastriano was working with extremist Christian nationalists who have openly declared that their goal is the end of American democracy. We can see that Mastriano knew ahead of time about the Christian nationalist plans to attack the United States government. He knew that January 6th was going to be more than just the date of a peaceful protest. And what tells us that? It's biblical language. You know, there are some people who say, oh, you know, Christian nationalism is not Bible-based. It's not real Christianity. It's fake Christianity. We can't blame anything on the Bible. Well, that's not true. Christian nationalism is really based in the Bible, and it uses the language of Christianity, the ideology of Christianity. That's a problem that American Christians have to confront. So let's pay attention to two phrases that you heard in Mastriano's prayer just now. He said, quote, We will seize our Esther and Gideon moments. Unquote. And then he said, quote, God You're calling forth modern-day Esthers and Gideons, and I pray that you will give us the courage to do so. Hmm. Okay, that's some pretty specific biblical Christian language. Esther and Gideon moments. What are those? You might be unfamiliar with this biblical reference, but members of Christian nationalist extremist militias, they understand exactly what Doug Mastriano was saying when he referred to Esther and Gideon 
moments. Doug Mastriano was calling for political violence by Christian nationalists on January 6th, 2021. Esther. Let's look at that character. Esther is a character from the Christian Bible who orchestrated the murder of her political opponents. Why did she kill them? Well, in part because they followed a different religion from hers. Gideon is another character from the Christian Bible, and Gideon organized an army to engage in a massive slaughter of neighbors who refused to follow his religious beliefs. Gideon also engaged in genocidal attacks against villages of people who resisted his attempts just to steal their food as he was attacking people on the basis of religion. And not just we're not just talking about attacking like, oh, you're criticizing my religion. He was attacking them with weapons. He was killing them. The murder of political opponents. An army going out and killing people because they don't agree with your religious beliefs. That's what Esther and Gideon are all about. The only thing that Esther and Gideon have in common is that they are biblical characters that engaged in political killings of people who followed different religions than theirs. When Mastriano prayed that the Christian nationalist mob of January 6th, 2021, would become Esther's and Gideon's, he was sending a very thinly coded message to the organizers of the Stop the Steal insurrection. Mastriano was announcing that people should prepare to commit acts of political violence in the name of Christianity in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021. The insurrection of January 6th was not just a spontaneous riot by a crowd of protesters who got kind of out of control. It was a planned act of political violence organized by Christian nationalists with the intention of overthrowing American democracy in order to create new theocratic government led by Donald Trump that would target non-Christian Americans. There was some odd, awkward language in this uh, prayer that uh, Doug Mastriano gave here at that Christian nationalist meeting. Mastriano's words were framed as a prayer, but at times it became clear that Mastriano lost track of who was supposed to be the all-knowing religious being talking to who. He said, quote, God, you are calling forth modern-day Esthers and Gideons, unquote, right? So why did Mastriano need to tell his God what his God was doing? That's a pretty strange thing to say. It's like, you know, turning over your, to talk to the driver of a car and say, hello, you are driving a car. That's a really weird kind of thing to do. Because especially in this context, the Christian God is supposed to be all-knowing, isn't he? Right? So what does the Christian God need Doug Mastriano to tell him what he's doing for? Why would Doug Mastriano do that? Hmm. Of course, we all know the answer 
to that. When Doug Mastriano is doing this prayer, he isn't really communicating with a sky deity from ancient Western Asia. Mastriano is giving a political speech. He's giving political instructions. He is just playing at giving a prayer when his real audience is the human beings who are listening to him on that conference call. It's as if Doug Mastriano believes that he has the power to order his god around, to put words in his god's mouth. Does Doug Mastriano really believe that he is the boss of the Christian god? Well, now, of course, I cannot look inside the mind of Doug Mastriano, but what I can say is that Mastriano is not alone in using conspicuous public prayers as an excuse to give pointed partisan political speeches. That's what the chaplains of the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate are doing every day. They're using prayer like Doug Mastriano used prayer. Because every prayer that they deliver to the U.S. Congress, it's a political speech declaring to our national legislature, the legislature of the United States of America, saying that Christian religious leaders should be granted the power to control the United States government, demanding that secular democracy bow to the authority of Christian theocracy. Doug Mastriano, the chaplains of the U.S. House and Senate, and Nick Fuentes are saying the same thing. And they say it in different styles, and some of them appear to just be calm while they're saying it, while others are ranting online, while others are engaged in Crazy speech at crazy Christian nationalist meetings. But the content of what they're saying, ideologically, it's the same thing. And there's a lot of people saying this. As Doug Mastriano's prayer, which was recorded on video, and it's available to see online, What that shows us is that there is political organization going on. It's not happening randomly. Christian nationalists are organized in what they're trying to do in their attacks against American democracy. And remember what Nick Fuentes said. He hates the United States of America. He thinks America is evil. He wants to replace it with something good. Christian rulership of everybody telling everybody what they have to believe. An end to American freedom. Well, that's pretty dark, having all of these people organizing against America, having the equivalent of a Nazi attack on America from within America, from within our own borders. But you are also out there, and you are not alone. There are also Americans who are organizing to resist Christian nationalism and its new Nazi ideology. You can join with other people who want to resist Christian nationalism, to refuse to submit to what these chaplains, these priests, these preachers, these pundits tell us that we must obey. We don't have to obey. And there are good organizations taking up the struggle. And unlike the Christian nationalists, they are doing it democratically, nonviolently, within the law. One of these organizations is the People 
for the American way. Boy, you do not get more patriotic than this organization. You find them at pfaw.org. That is People for the American Way. And one of their projects is Right Wing Watch. And you can find them at rightwingwatch.org. And boy, they really uncover a lot of great stuff. That video, or excuse me, audio, we're on a podcast, of Nick Fuentes giving his crazy Christian nationalist speech, that was found by the people at Right Wing Watch. Because they have people dedicated to going out and finding that nasty material to document what the Christian nationalists are doing to try to overthrow American democracy. They're documenting this. They're working hard at it. And they could use some help. So you can support people for the American way. People at Right Wing Watch. We don't have to do this alone. Remember that. Though the odds are getting worse and worse against us, the Christian nationalists are growing in power, people are also becoming more and more aware of what the Christian nationalists are up to. And you can help the good people at Right Wing Watch and People for the American Way to spread the word. This is not a paid advertisement, by the way. I just love these people. I don't do any advertisements here. You might notice, because I don't want anyone stopping me from saying what needs to be said. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to Stop Christian Nationalism. We're going to be back next week because, you know, every week there is more activity going on with Christian nationalism in America than we even have the time to talk about, even in uh, a podcast that goes well over an hour like this. Come back next week and listen again. We have a lot to talk about.